Hi, this is John Pavlis, American Cinematographer Contributor, and uh, I'm here with Peter Biaggi, the Director of Photography of a film called Under New Management. Hey, how are you? Why don't we just start off with you telling us a little bit about what the film is about? The film is, a, is a, at its heart, a love story between a female cop and a uh, perceived to be a mobster. He's the son of a, of a killed mobster, and his uncle shielded him from the mob. And so he went to some good schools and is a Wall Street genius and does very well in uh, acquisitions and whatnot. As the mobsters start to age, the family, his uncle knows that uh, they're not long for this world because they can't uh, produce and bring money in. So uh, the uncle brings in the uh, nephew for the only option he sees is to make them legitimate in Brooklyn when real estate is getting very hot in Brooklyn and they know all the uh, homeowners there so that uh, they open up a real estate business. So um, so you didn't kind of come come out of the, the usual, you know, uh, L.A. kind of trajectory that a lot of a lot of uh, cinematographers do so can you just tell us about how you kind of you got started and, and what it's like being based in Chicago well you know being based in Chicago you're sort of always the uh, you know bastard stepchild of of all uh, you know it's true everything is New York or LA centric and uh, but I always like to think that you know creativity and the ability to uh, create new visuals that provoke comes from anywhere as you know as we see so many uh, so many DPs coming from uh, different countries and whatnot. I sort of put my, you know, I had every opportunity to move to Los Angeles when I got out of film school, but I, uh, I had a, a family and uh, and uh, I wanted them to have a little bit of normalcy. And I, I sort of like the idea that uh, the filmmaking was a little fish out of water in a, a city like Chicago. It had a uniqueness, and I, it wasn't appealing going to Los Angeles, where you know that's the major. Uh, thing. Although I, I really did like New York, uh, but it's hard to go to New York unless you have some family there or whatnot. So my career, I, I, I so basically we saw so many DPs leave Chicago just for New York and LA. So and I was one specializing in doing in shooting narrative films, and so uh, my name got out there, and so I started getting uh, a good amount of you know features to shoot. Uh, the downside to that was typically it was always the first feature of a director and stuff. So uh, uh, the fortunate thing for this one, it was the uh, the second feature of the director, Joe Odding, who is uh, comes from an editorial background, which is a huge plus in making a film. How did you kind of get connected to this project? Well, actually, he is Chicago-based, and uh, we did go to film school together. And uh, although he travels quite a bit, he's... Uh, done features in LA and uh, commercials around the country and stuff but uh, please don't uh, take this as a segue but I shot his uh, project Greenlight and I had shot a number of other things for him before so you know we knew each other we got along you know Midwest Midwestern kid so he he brought me on uh, much to the dismay of uh, the New York produ producers and everything we made the deal, and I came out to New York, which which was fantastic. I loved loved shooting there. So you 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 got yourself uh, shipped out to New York uh, against the wishes of the of the producers. What is that about? Well, you know, of course they wanted to hire everybody local and everything, and uh, but you know, I think it was a real comfort level to uh, the director to 
to have somebody with an already established uh, working relationship and the language and uh, and that's something that we encounter so often when we're in Chicago is that they'll, they'll bring in a DP from LA or something and of course they want to bring in the ACs or you know some of the people that they work with on a constant basis and everything uh, you know it's it's a communication thing and you want to you want to be able to uh, you know do get the job done you know efficiently and everything so I had a great comfort level with Joe and we still you know to this day and everything so he brought me out and and uh we started going to work, which was a great time in New York. You got a great city to shoot in. <laughs> um, were you able to bring your uh, your camera crew out with you, or were you working with um, uh, New York based ACs? We were working with a, a New York uh, based cameras and uh, camera people and uh, lighting people. Uh, Ludovic Lighty was the assistant camera, who was fantastic, and I think has moved on to shooting himself by now. Uh, besides the fact that you and the director were buddies from before, was was there? I mean, what was kind of uh, appealing about this particular story to you? Well, you know, the thing the thing that was appealing to me, and and is maybe a constant through a lot of, or I hope is a constant through a lot of the cinematography I do uh, or pictures, is that it really called for some um, dirty light, like uh, there are lots of we had lots of different colors in the same picture. It's almost a send-up to Rodrigo Prieto, almost to have so much little variations of color within uh, one scene that the light it, it looks more real. That in that you have a lot of different wavelengths of light uh, hitting the subject and in the background and stuff. That's what, to a certain extent, this project was. We had a you know, some very light-colored gels that we would throw on the key lights and 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 stuff like that and wrap it around. So it gave a perceived realism. Hopefully, yeah. Well, I was gonna say the um uh, the 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 story is kind of it kind of straddles uh being a comedy and I guess uh well like you said yeah. a, a love story and um the look of the of the movie is is really not at all like a, a conventional comedy or love story. It's um there's a lot of uh it, it kind of reminded me actually a little bit of um the HBO show The Wire with a lot of um kind of long lens shots. And slow dolly moves, and even a couple snap zooms here and there, and mm. just you know, kind of destylized almost. And um, uh, you, you just described the the kind of the look of the light that you that you created as as um as dirty. So um, I, I, what what kind of made you go in that direction for this for this story? Well, it, it's interesting, you know. So often you have that choice with a comedy whether to make it you know, bright and bright and brighter, you know, and uh, uh, that was a conscious, a conscious decision between uh, Joe Adi and me is to, uh, is to let it play as a drama and then just let the, uh, let the, uh, the words uh, play the comedy and the situations play the comedy. Um, so, and, and then, you know, uh, and then, you know, we would get some uh, long lens to, to uh, you know, heighten a little slickness, a little romance, you know, a little twinkles out of focus and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, but you're you're dead on. We played it as a drama, uh, not as a comedy. Did you kind of put together any any specific visual references um, to other films or, or or other just kind of images in pre-production to kind of you know create this look? Well, um, we did look at a couple movies. I, I think we looked at uh, Matchstick Men. 
We looked at out of sight, you know, which has a similar theme, uh, a similar, you know, sort of uh, what's a illicit love story, so to speak. And then we 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 just took you know took some you know just used them as a reference and everything, letting stuff go dark, like Matchstick Men. Uh, Joe Audine likes a lot of long lens and and uh, wide angles cut together. So you know we did a, we did a lot of that. When we got when it got more intimate, we got uh, a little wider angle and closer to the people and stuff. Um, was there anything um, in out of sights photography that you were that you were kind of taking into account, or was it mostly just you know the the story? It was m- mainly just the story to see see you know what has been out there before and everything. So got it. Um, so um, and about the, the the kind of the color palette and the 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 quality of light, just to go back to that because. Um, I want to get into a little bit more detail about your your kind of you know preferences and your and your creative feelings about this this idea of um, mixed source and 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 dirty light. I mean, what do you mean by that exactly? Because the, the the movie does it has a little bit of a of a gritty feel in some in some scenes, but uh, it doesn't look it doesn't look dirty in a bad way. So, what do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it's, it's a that's a good point. Well, a lot a lot of times what we would do is we would in the shadows we would put a light lavender or in the background we would put a a green a daylight green light. So basically it was a willingness to shoot with uh well typically typically if you add green to a light it, it sort of makes it a dirty light in my mind because it's uh or even magenta sometimes but it it just takes it out of uh out, you know, out of strictly daylight or tungsten and so it uh but then then when you put it in the foreground you take a light gold colored uh light and you put a little rim on there or you bounce a light off of uh off of a uh slightly reddish wall that's just uh to the right of the person or something like that it's basically hitting the person with multiple different uh colors of light it sort of grants a uh, a willingness to possibly see it as more real, at least in my estimation. How long did you have to prepare for for shooting? We had about three weeks, three or four weeks. So we did some film tests and and uh, some filter tests, and you know we used you know we used some uh, diffusion throughout and stuff like that. We were using the Panavision. It was uh, uh, Super Thirty Five Three Perf with two, three, five aspect ratio. And, and we used a little of this glitter glass and, and some black FX and, uh, you know, got the actors in front of the camera and stuff and decide when to gloss it up and when not to gloss it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that amount of prep kind of, um, you know, par for the course for what you're usually work, you know, used to in, in, in shooting feature films in Chicago or. Well, this, this was, uh, this was probably the largest budget that I've done. And, uh, and so the, uh, uh, you know, I've had a, you know, typically how it works is I'll get a call like four months ahead of time or something like that. And they'll send me the script and I'll go over it. And it's kind of nice. You get to ruminate on it a little bit or something like that. And then two or three weeks, usually three weeks, you know, sometimes four weeks before a feature, you'll, uh, you'll go in and start doing your test and stuff like that because it's been my uh, experience that the director about two weeks before the show starts is totally engrossed with rehearsing the actors and doing other things. So the the more time you can get with the director ahead of time, it's uh, 
definitely beneficial. So, um, so you said that you, uh, you, you, you shot super 35 with, um, Panavision cameras, um, in two, three, five. So, uh, was that, I mean, how, how did you guys, you and the director kind of come around to, to, you know, choosing that aspect ratio and, and that setup? Well, that was an interesting choice because the, uh, Joe Otting put forth to the producers that, uh, they were initially wanted to shoot on, uh, the Sony 900 or something, uh, and uh, Joe Otting uh, fought for shooting on film, and they said, well, let's do a test, and they did a test, and they showed it to the uh, executive producer, and the, uh, there was no question. The executive producer put, out, put up the extra money to do it on film because it, you know there was a sense of realism um, that existed more with film and shooting New York and the grittiness of it and stuff like that. Part of it had to do probably with, you know, the relative uh, size of the image you're, you know, two-thirds inch versus 35 and stuff like that. But uh, uh, the produce, the money, the money people said, you know, wow, let's go with it. This is great. So they put up the extra money to do it. Do you find that, I mean, you, you got to shoot film on this one, um, but is that something that you find that you're, you're kind of having to uh, to fight for as time goes on? Or is it still kind of, you know half and half or just a balance depending on the project well you know it, it's interesting it's an interesting question you know i always say that content is you know content is king and so on the lower budget scale however you can get your message across uh most efficiently and wisely wisely spending your money as long as you can get your story across you know the format while you know the nuances are perceptible and the nuances is is our business so to speak if you have uh uh you know two hundred thousand dollars and and you definitely need 18 days of shooting you're not going to shoot 35 just because you know 100 grand is going to go to the film and processing so um everything else is going to suffer so it's almost like, well, sh you know, shoot it on a DSLR, shoot it on a Sony 900 or some something cheaper, faster, uh, uh, you know, and then and then work within that medium to get the look that you need, you know. So I'm more I'm I'm more easily bent, I guess, to go with what works so that you you know you have an art department, you have a makeup, you have wardrobe, you have all the other elements that you need to make it a great film rather than, you know, you have, Oh, I have my set of Primo lenses, you know, because I understand it takes the whole, in my understanding, it takes the whole lot of people and the whole uh, function of everybody to make a film. It's not just, uh, you know, spending all your money on uh, the Primo lenses or, or uh, film stock, you know, so. Um, well, so speaking of Primo lenses and film stock, uh, what was your lens package on, on the film? We had Primo lenses. <laughs> <laughs> we had a set of Primos. And, uh, and I have to say that, uh, that uh, uh, the people at Panavision were fantastic. And, uh, and uh, two of the producers are very well-known New York City guys. Uh, Brian Hamill is... Was, uh, is uh, uh, one of the greatest uh, film set uh, set photographers, and he had a huge run with Woody Allen and Martin Scorsese, 
uh, on some huge films, and he was one of the producers. So he had a, a re, you know, he knows everybody in New York as well as his brother Dennis, who was the writer. Uh, very funny guy, and uh, so so uh, it was it was the best of all worlds in that there was the producers were connected to the city and everything. So, um, do you remember exactly what you were carrying? Um, because you know you said that the director likes to go, uh, you know, intercut, you know, long lens and zoom with you know wide angles in the same scene. And I think we had uh, uh, for a couple weeks we had a, a zoom lens on there. Uh, for some really long lens stuff. But then we just had a regular set of primes that we used predominantly, like 21, 27, you know. How much of the film was shot on location and how much was in a studio, if any? I can tell you that all of it was shot on a real location. The schedule was such that uh, one of the major sets, which is the, uh, the social club where the hoods hang out, uh, we had to, we shot early in the schedule and then the, the art department, uh, with Deanna Sydney, who was fantastic, changed it over to the real estate, uh, world and everything, which was absolutely fantastic. So it was all on sets, which I'm very comfortable with. And I was so glad to, so glad to do. Sometimes it's, uh, when you're on, you know, uh, a stage and everything, it just, it's, uh. I don't know. I like I like being on the street. I like being live. I like you know the re the real location headaches and everything like that. Which is the one thing that I walked away from New York uh, appreciating is that every day something will go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you appreciated that. <laughs> well, it kept you on your toes. You know, oh, one day we had we uh, you know we it got you know the ads were fantastic and they kept us moving and everything but as a director and a cinematographer you learn that if you uh if you can move the day efficiently you'll get more in the can and you can give the give the editor more to work with and everything and so every night uh the director and i would go over the schedule and see where we could gain some time and stuff like that and, and one day you know the first part of the day was all we needed was a dolly and we were going to do like, you know, three pages and we we're going to, you know, just knock it out because the sun was in the right position. Uh, everything was good. Everything, you know. And uh, so lo and behold, that day, the uh, uh, a delivery truck blocks the grip truck's door and the, his truck breaks down and he's boxed in. And so we can't even get the dolly off at all. So, you know, it was like, well, you know, it's time to think on your feet and see what you can do. So we, you know, we got out the. Uh, we got out the dolly track and we got out the skateboard wheels and we put a piece of plywood on it and we did a little dolly move like that, you know? So it's a, uh, you know, it's real think on your feet type thing. When you, when you're in New York, it's think on your feet time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the film starts out with a rather kind of spectacular, uh, you know, cold open scene in the, the protagonist's apartment, which is um, uh, just this, you know, really gorgeous penthouse looking apartment with wraparound giant windows everywhere. And I think it looks like it was taking place at either dawn or dusk, some kind of magic hour. <laughs> it was either the morning or the evening. And, uh, and you can see, uh, I mean, the golden lights pouring in uh, to the, to the room, but you can see just tons of detail outside the windows as well. And so um, I'm surprised here that wasn't on the stage. No, you know what? And even even later in the film, there's a scene where a guy's at a conference room, and there's the uh, oh Chrysler building out the window, and it almost looks like a painting. 
uh, like a, you know, a, a translate or something. And that was real as well. That was on the top of, you know, floor of a building and an office building. And, uh, we really lucked out with some great locations and shooting at great times of day. That opening scene was that you mentioned was the dolly shot was one of the more difficult ones. Um, but we shot that at, uh, we just had a few fill lights in there bouncing around. Um, uh, but that was shot at, uh, with the sun going down and we, you know, we got out the compasses on the scout and we knew exactly what time of day and we knew we had about four or five shots at it and we rehearsed it. And, and that was a real high rent, uh, apartment we were in and, uh, it took forever to get the gear up and no place to park. And, and, uh, but we set up the dolly track and, uh, you know, called out the numbers where, but that was, uh, you know, definitely a timed out thing. We did that move about four or five times and made sure didn't see our reflection or anything. But I, I love how it flares out when it catches the sun and uh, and whatnot. And so we wanted that spark of hope, uh, you know, having something go right, you know. You mentioned, you know, the difficulty of avoiding reflections in a room where every wall is a window and, um, you know, kind of uh, the flares and... Um, and uh, and also just you know getting getting the gorgeous kind of you know exterior picture you know to register as well as you know you know balanced with what you're doing inside. So um, can you talk a little bit about you know what you you did to kind of make all that work on kind of such a, a tight you know time schedule with Magic Hour? Well, you know you know for the most part I exposed for the outsides because there was full sun coming uh, in on him uh, that uh, and then we. Uh, took a took and hid a number of uh hmi pars you know tied into the building and uh and bounced them around just to you know to give some front fill and everything but the key the key the key light was the sun and uh and we may even have uh pulled the f-stop at times while we were dollying to give some more more light in there i forget if we did that or not it was it was that was a lot of fun to do that shot and, and i think it you know it 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 makes it a wealth of, uh, shows the wealth of the uh, area and everything. And the director really loves moving the camera and trying to get a lot of information information into one shot. That was something that he had wanted to do and everything uh, to set up this guy's character. So About shooting wide open or, or not, do you like to shoot, you know, kind of more on the wide side? Typically, no, no. I've got myself into uh, conundrums by shooting wide open. Uh, it's only when push comes to shove with me that I would shoot wide open. A lot of times I like to stop down to three, two or in, in between two, eight and four, somewhere there. And I, I try to keep consistent throughout a film. Um, sometimes we'll, um, I'll shoot, you know, all the exteriors at one F stop if I can. And then all the interiors at another, for the most part, we probably shot it between a two, eight and a four. And then outside probably a five, six was probably what we did. All lenses have a, a, a sweet spot, right? You know, with Correct. the aperture. Were you shooting in? I guess you were shooting in that for the primos. We were wanting to show with the main character, the nephew character. Uh, we were wanting to show some um, some gloss, some slickness, some uh, wherewithal, some uh, big city proper, and so that's why the primos were uh, came in handy and everything to uh, to show that uh, level of wealth, the level of togetherness and everything and then contrasting that with the the criminals and stuff with the dirty light and stuff like that so 
Uh, and this, and I have to tell you to a large extent, I use some of the, a lot of the older lenses because I, uh, because the Primos are so pristine, refined, sharp, high resolution, slick, uh, sterile, but not blue. They're uh, crisp, you know, they're, uh, they're like a winter day, you know, with a, a sharp, uh, cool breeze, you know, a cold breeze in your face. They're, they're sharp and everything. And uh, so, so with that, you have the ability to diffuse, ability to do a lot of other things, uh, you know, to take them down and everything and to give, give them character with taking them down, you know. I love some of these older lens sets that uh, some of the, you know, like the what Ed Lockman used on Virgin Suicides with the... Uh, they just came out, uh, Cook Lenses, they came out with a new set uh, just recently. It's, a, you know, it's a total choice, to, you know, pick the lenses that match your film and everything. And that's that's why we went with the Primos on this. Great. Um, the heroine, the investigator, um, she, we we see a lot of her in this, in this kind of small stakeout room that she, she hides out in with her idiot partner while she's spying on um yeah on the hero and um and that room has um it it, it it's kind of got just like a, a cool gray blue gunmetal thing going on well she comes off as uh kelly overton the actress she comes off as very professional and knowledgeable on her job and everything the uh color choice God's honest truth. I think that's what was there, and we just uh, accentuated that with you know some uh, the, put the downlights and the uh, lighting in there as uh, some blue kinos. They're working. Uh, we sort of wanted to make them feel like they were working in uh, the bowels or the uh, or uh, the uh, the refuse of a, of a of a building or something something long forgotten. So we uh, we, we threw some blue light in there and we put some. Uh, Christmas tree lights out the window to make some sparkle out the window. So after they met the main character, uh, there was a little spark in their lives and everything. But that was real low light levels, real, uh, real sort of uh, alienating work environment. We, we were contrasting. She's her and her partner are always arguing, and she's a woman, and she's conflicted and always uh, uh, trying to trying to come off as professional and the, the man is always putting her down and and uh we wanted to both contrast that with the at easeness of the social club and these criminal you know criminals who you could make an argument that being a criminal is a business is a way of life is a job you know and so we wanted to contra <laughs> contrast these uh these two uh two worlds by you know both showing the similarities and also uh, in the lighting and, and whatnot, and also separating them. So, yeah, it's an interesting distinction because um, the social club that gets turned into a um, a real estate uh, office by the by the hero, um, where the mobsters hang out. The the color palette you created for for that setting is is warm and and kind of almost inviting more than than you know menacing or or something that you might expect from. A place yeah. that, where where mobsters hang out, and so there's a back room where uh, yeah. the Don and the hero do their their strategizing. I mean that that's got uh, you know, it's darker in there. It's a little bit more um, kind of what you might expect of uh, you know 
nefarious deeds being exactly. done back there. But but even that do doesn't have in any way a sinister kind of feel. So I mean, it, it sounds like that was very deliberate on your part. It, it, you're exactly right, uh, and much to the writer's uh, liking, uh, Dennis Hamill, he he wanted to show the compadres all enjoying themselves. Uh, he wanted to show the joy in their lives of you know. Uh, being together they these are happy guys they have a dark side to them but they're for the most part happy guys they get along together they're they're like uh you know guys hanging out in high school or something like that and uh so to a large extent uh uh we wanted to show that uh their jobs you know there was a little smoke in the air there was a little um there was a comfortableness uh, uh, with the set and everything. It was a lived-in quality and everything. And uh, we, we, for the most part, we were showing that in contrast to some of the corporate life or the police station and stuff like that. That it was, uh, why would you choose to, you know, live live in this corporate world when the criminal world is so attractive in a way, uh, in ways. So. That was a conscious effort to show that. In the back room, it was uh, was where some of the some of the more meaningful scenes happen, actually, in terms of heart and soul and uh, and life choices and uh, information getting out about uh, the choices made and stuff. Most of the choices made were hard, difficult choices, so we kept that very simple and 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 uh, gave them some eye sockets at time, you know. Uh, made it feel like it was still real light, but it uh, you couldn't see their eyes. So uh, sometimes when you don't see their eyes, you can you can as an audience member you can sort of insert your own uh, expression or whatnot. You can see yourself uh, by not seeing their eyes. So we would do that. The lighting setup was uh, it was a very dark room. It was probably uh, um, you know sixteen by ten, and uh, the walls have. Each wall, one one wall behind was all st uh, stainless steel, like it was it was an old kitchen, abandoned kitchen. And then behind the other wall was uh, slats, uh, like furring strips for plaster, with one light on that. And I believe that was yellow. And then uh, and then uh, for the main light on them, uh, I think it was probably a. Um, probably a uh, gem ball, like a paper lantern, but with muslin uh, on it, uh, sort of high in the room, lighting both of them, and then just a, a couple little eye lights. And, you know, it sort of has that Godfather feel a little bit with the muslin overhead coming straight down and stuff. Well, we, we, we chose colors of lights and the, uh, a little happier colors, some reds and some neons and some, uh, and we mixed those to make it feel real. Uh, not so, not a ton of green because the walls had so much green in them already. And um, and then you know what uh, the uh, the gaffer had a great suggestion in there. Rich uh, Ulavelia, he had a great suggestion that we and we found these. We put uh, strip lights, um, like uh, ten MR16s on a in a strip, and we we ringed. We ringed the whole ceiling and just put them into the ceiling. And, and, and he had a, a great Palm Pilot dimmer system that he made up, radio controlled. And we put those on the walls. And so we had these big punches of uh, warm light coming from on top and everything. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we mixed we mix the warm and the, the warm and 
and the reds and and the blues and everything and and just tried to make it uh and had the lamps very warm in there to uh to make it feel homey and everything and this was a real lesson this was not a large space this was <laughs> this was a real lesson in uh in a real location in terms of you know keeping you know six people which was typical you know the the mobsters were uh like six of them in the room at one time and so it was a real lesson in in wide shots and uh choreographing uh all of these guys to make it work for the shot and everything so um, given how much time you guys spent on real locations and, and interiors, I mean, how did you work in, or how, you know, whether you, you did or you didn't, how did you deal with practicals? Um, with the, with the art department in, in pre-production, every location we went into, we, uh, you know, we made a point of saying, you know, let's have two standby, you know, practicals that we could move in and bring to wherever we would need them. Um, and it, in you know in the in the in the film test a lot of times I'll put one of those in the background and we'll uh, nail it in terms of you know setting different uh, tones for uh, uh, different scenes and everything. But uh, yeah, no, we always try to have practicals on hand, and and some of them were built in, into the location, and uh, and we used them. We were moving fast on this film. This was not a huge budget by any means, and so. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we use the hell out of them. So uh, one of the big exterior um, scenes is uh, it's a shootout on, on the street in, in New York. And so that's no small undertaking. <laughs> um, so how did you uh, how did you go about creating that? You're right. I mean, that, it, that that was difficult. And I remember trying to get the tallest stands I could out there. But I think what ended up happening is that we uh, ended up uh, getting access to uh, a building, and to put a few window uh, lights out of a uh, out of a building across the street, and that which saved us, which totally saved us because we uh, budget wouldn't allow for us to have a condor or anything there. So we had a bunch of lights bouncing off uh, bouncing off uh, high boards and stuff like that. But I tell you, on a low budget, you can really get killed when you try to attempt something too much when you uh can't get the lights up in the sky because you know you get that kick angle on everything so uh i think we just you know i hate to say it but we i think we barely pulled that one off <laughs> <laughs> well what did you end up putting in those in in those windows uh in in the you know the well, my favorite light are park hands like source four park hands uh not the ellipsoidals and uh a lot of times we carry those or uh and what we had on this shoot uh uh, was the new 12 light uh it was new at the time fairly new at the time it was the 12 light hpl lights uh which are um 12 of these 7 750 uh, uh source 4 pars on a like a maxi brute uh type thing and those just put out more light than you know what to do with and 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 god's honest truth is we ended up there was a white building that was perfectly located and we ended up bouncing uh bouncing the light off of the white building and then uh and then using the other one to bounce off uh, another building up high and then uh then we used uh, the small smaller ones to pick off some hot spots and stuff like that so um how much space on the street did you were you able to work with uh, you know how much how much area were you able to to get you know lit for picture without a condor 
they never feel like creative choices while you're making those decisions like hey there's a lit area of the street down there let's <laughs> you know the uh you know we we chose to look to, you know we looked down the street and everything and and i think to a large extent it would have been nice to have you know the whole you know block lit up but i think you know i think the car does uh the headlights flaring the lens uh, and then, you know, you magically tilt up right when the car is in its lit spot. And then, uh, you, you design oftentimes design the shot to work for the, uh, how much lighting you have and everything. So, um, I'm not exactly sure if we did it exactly for this, but I do remember us looking down the street with the car approaching and the car pulls into, you know, pulls into more of our lit area and everything. Uh, you know, to a large extent, New York is, does have a, a base amount of light, not a ton, so just just by us bouncing this uh, extremely bright light off a white building, we were able to to light up the uh, light up the area fairly well as a as a side light, and then uh, then throwing these other lights up high and picking off spots is what really really made it work for us, you know. Um, and there's uh, there's another kind of um, night exterior. Uh, set piece scene that happens near the end of the film where um, there's kind of a, a hostage standoff at a at a restaurant down uh, near the the water in Brooklyn. Well, that one actually that they did they put the budget into that one. Uh, <laughs> okay, we did have two condors there, and uh, and I think we shot that over two nights, I believe. Yeah, with all the police cars and everything like that there, and all the officers and stuff that. That meant that you know the production was more than willing to spend the money uh, to do to do that there. Uh, so so we we uh, you know we blew our production there, uh, our you know lighting budget there, uh, thinking you know the climax of the film and stuff. So uh, we had condors with the HPLs and we were lighting up buildings far far away and everything. Typically, I'll put uh, uh, one of these twelve lights in a bucket and then you know like six six of these. Uh, uh, source for pars or mole pars or something like that with different gels and it just makes it so easy to uh light up background and and the set and stuff like that when you do that so yeah that, that was a big lighting setup lots of actors lots of people running in and out i think we had two camera possibly two cameras going then uh, gunplay uh, all the good stuff yeah all the good stuff all the good stuff the one thing that we uh, tried to do in some of this was, uh, so we had so many actors in so many of the scenes, is that we uh, I took a, took a hint from some of how Robert Altman uh, approached some of his scenes, where we'd keep the camera moving and and pick off different shots, different shot sizes, and let the natural crosses and how people would move in a scene uh, play. And so uh, some of the scenes we did uh, did that way, and uh, it proved uh, the director liked it so much in editing that uh, he's sort of a big fan of that now. Um, so just just to to clarify, um, you worked with Robert Altman. Yeah, I camera operated the, uh, his last two shows. Yeah, uh, those and those were the co uh, the company and uh, actually I, I don't know if there was his last two and Prairie Home Companion. I was. Along with his son Bobby, I was the uh, camera operator, and and he shot two cameras the whole time, typically, on the sets with him. A lot of times, the actors will go where they want to go, and and sometimes if you uh, if you allow them to do that, as as he did often, uh, they feel more uh, it feels more real in terms of their body movement and everything like that. 
And so uh, it becomes, so Robert Altman would do, would set up a scenario where somebody or five people would come through a room or on the stage or something. And uh, he would keep the camera moving slightly. And, uh, and we would, we would pick off different shot sizes on the moving camera. And on the second take, we would start, uh, we would start on a different person in the scene and we would play what we called almost like tag where when some people would cross, we would go with the other person. And so the dolly always started in a, a different place and we always started with a different person and a different shot size on that person. And so you gave the, uh, editor all these different points in time to cut into it. And everybody was typically in the, you know, after they choreograph it once, they sort of know where they're going and everything. And so it just gave the editor so many options of cutting on these crosses and stuff. And, and oftentimes you would, by the end, you would connect the most meaningful parts of the scene together in one shot. And oftentimes that's what would get used too. Let's, let's move on into, um, into talking about uh, post-production a little bit. Um, did you do a, a DI on this? They did a DI here in Chicago at uh, NOLO. Uh, this was uh, only my second or third. Do you anticipate doing that, um, that digital intermediate as you're shooting the film and, and shoot differently, kind of knowing what you're going to be able to do in the DI? Or do you, you know, you personally, do you just kind of treat it the same way you do, you would, you know, doing a, a traditional photochemical color grade? That's a, that's a great question. The, um, and uh, I would say as much as I don't want to admit to it, but if I know something from a lighting standpoint is going to take me 30 minutes to an hour on the set to accomplish, and I know the hammer is coming down uh, from the AD, and I know that it can be taken care of and post fairly easily, um, I hate to admit it, but I'll often... Uh, I'll often say, all right, we'll take care of it in post. Uh, and I hate, I hate to feel that much of a escape artist or whatnot, but I, you know, I think overall you have to, uh, value the project and getting as many shots in the can as possible for and executing well for the, for the director. And, and if you know something can be, uh, fixed in post and done so with a flip of a switch, then I think you have to own up to it and, um, and embrace it. So oftentimes, and I'm, I'm, I'm addressing a bigger picture than just mm -hmm. the uh, saving time and everything like that. Oftentimes uh, there's a push now towards just getting a good negative and letting people give the film a look in post, let it, letting them give a, uh, uh, an edge, a style, you know, accentuating that. I mean, there's whole companies that, you know, are giving given footage and they're like, all right, this is lacking something. We need to, you know, give it a, you know, a shot of steroids or something like that. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent of doing that on the set when you're doing it, you know, be bold on the set, you know, get it done in the can that way. And, uh, because oftentimes it gets into post and, uh, something will come back and you'll be like, uh, you know, uh, sometimes people won't give it the attention that you would because you're the visualist, right? You're the person in charge. And so to that end, I would like to own that visual, you know, and I would like to contribute to that visual as much as possible. So 
So there's a little love hate uh, thing with the post world or that that irksome uh, thing on your shoulder, you know, saying, ah, maybe they'll take this away if I don't do it now. So let me add it, you know, so. I think that about uh, about covers it for under new management. Um, Pete, thanks for taking the time to talk to us about it. John, it's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, come back to Chicago when you're uh, when you can.